0: We have so much to be grateful for and so much to be thankful for in the loving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm glad to see you here this morning. We're studying again and continuing our study at the temptations of Christ. For those of you who are not regular attenders, all this year we're focusing upon the life of Christ as revealed in the Gospels. Our daily Bible reading, we've read Matthew already. We've read Mark already. And this week we started the Gospel of Luke. As a matter of fact, if you're following the plan, tomorrow you're going to read... The, the text that we're dealing with, Matthew, we're reading from Matthew, but you're reading the same account that Luke will be telling. Uh, I would recommend you just go and read all that in a piece. Read all the way through uh, Luke 1, 1 through Luke four thirteen, and then pick up there next week and read the next segment of the Christ, of Christ's life and the, the commencement of His ministry. But we're here this morning to continue our series to understand what it means to be tempted. And we're going to be focusing upon a classification of temptations called Assumptions, dangerous assumptions, we all know what dangerous assumptions are We know all know it can be safe to assume things that you don't have evidence for I remember I was talking to mom yesterday, we were reminiscing about that time that we were at Mokes Creek Baptist Church And all of us kids were little, I have a sister a year older and a sister four years younger And I have a twin brother, and so we were just kind of Uh, we would all go to church together and all come home together, but sometimes dad would go early and sometimes mom had responsibilities. And one Sunday we sat around the table and dad was there and mom was there and my older sister, Melissa, was there and Mark and I were there and my little sister was nowhere to be found. Dad had assumed she came with mom. Mom had assumed dad had her. And so in a little bit of a panic, they rushed back to Mokes creek baptist church to find out what happened to their youngest child and there she was sound asleep on the front view uh, left behind because of assumptions we all know teachers uh, should never assume that everyone has done their homework leaders should never assume that everyone is on the same page or heading in the same direction team members as you know should never assume that everyone has the same motivation or the same level of commitment as you have there are dangerous assumptions to make When I was talking to some of the guys outside, uh, Daniel Baker shared with me a dangerous assumption uh, that I almost but didn't make yesterday. His his statement was, assume your buddy turned the breaker off before you replace an outlet. Something you want to check on. Some, Some assumptions are more dangerous than others. Yesterday I was changing a light fixture at my mom's house and I actually went out and manually made sure that the breaker was off before we uncovered those wires. But we're dealing with the issue of temptation, and we're looking at one specific one this morning. In Matthew, there are three temptations. Matthew has it as the second one. In Luke's account, he has it as the third one. Those two share different places. It's a whole classification of temptation that we need to be aware of. Temptation is real. Our foundation for this is we recognize it is Satan's desire that you, as a Christian, live as though you weren't a Christian. Satan has a partner and the partners are very near to us it's our own flesh it's our own appetites he he wants us the temptation is to be like everyone else you know to cast off any restraints that would keep you from satisfying your own hungers and your own desires while God calls us to deny ourselves take up our cross daily and follow him to find those things that please him and do those we all have ambitions we want to be successful respected We want to be a winner in life. We want to be great at something. And the temptation is to take shortcuts, to do whatever is necessary to get ahead. After all, you deserve it, the tempter says. You can be great, and you can be great. But we need to be great in the right kingdom. We need to be great in the kingdom of God. The only one we live to please, to be recognized by, to be rewarded by, is God. Uh, This song, someone mentioned this in home group uh, Wednesday night the song lyrics that, that are so meaningful in the area of the temptation to ambition is give me one pure and holy passion, give me one magnificent obsession, give me one glorious ambition for my life, to know and follow hard after you. Now we, we've, we recognize Jesus did not yield to temptation. Adam did. Jesus did not. He remained sinless. As a matter of fact, the song we sang this morning, All Sufficient Merit. I haven't earned it. Christ did, God made him who knew no sin to become sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him his righteousness applied in our account he lived without sin, he did not yield and, and by his power, this is the same Christ that lives within us we can live holy lives Would, and I just want you to get on the same page with me there do you believe you can be a holy person? do you really? because I hear so often and so much well, you know, I'm just doing the best I can or, well, it's just the way I am. Or, well, nobody's perfect. And I want us to understand that we should have a holy ambition. And the holy ambition is not our own merit. It's not our own righteousness. But is to be so in love with Christ and to be so filled with His Holy Spirit and so dependent upon Him. I depend on you for everything in my life. I depend upon you that our lives become reflection of His holiness and His glory. Too often... We, we just, we're just mediocre, and God desires us to be ambitious in His kingdom. Today, we're talking about these sins of assumption. Now, I had to do some grammatical work. What's the difference between assume and presume? Is there a difference? I looked it up. Assume but and presume both mean to take something for granted or to take something as true. The difference lies in the degree of confidence held by the speaker. If they're making an informed guess based upon reasonable evidence, it's presumed. If a guess is based on little or no evidence, it's assumed, and yet they can be used interchangeably. As a matter of fact, just get used to it. I'm going to be switching back and forth between them all day long. So when you hear one, hear both, all right? Now let's read the text again, just this one temptation. And he took him, Jesus, to Jerusalem. This is Satan, the devil, taking Jesus to Jerusalem. And he set him on the pinnacle of the temple. This is Herod's temple. It's massive. And he have carried him up to the, to, to the place over the Holy of Holies or at the top of, of uh, Solomon's portico or one of the highest places there. And he said, hey, if you're the Son of God, and this is not an if, prove you're the Son of God. This is a since. You're the Son of God. Since you're the Son of God, throw yourself down because God's made a promise to you. He wrote, this is scripture, this is the first temptation, and the only temptation we have in here The word Satan is actually quoting scripture, he'll command his angels concerning you and guard you. Um, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Now Jesus responded, of course, also with scripture. And he said, well, now you're misquoting scripture. That's not what he said. Or that God didn't really say that, that's not what he said he said the Lord answered and said to him you shall not put the Lord your God to the test he's quoting from Deuteronomy 6 Satan quoted from Psalm 91 which is right Jesus is not saying that that Psalm 91 is not right it is right what he's talking about here is a misuse or an abuse of scripture you see the temptation that we're talking about this morning tend to be more subtle uh the issue is not the truthfulness of Scripture, but in how we have a tendency to misuse or change or twist the meaning of Scripture. Satan's scheme here is not, did God really say? Satan's scheme here is, hey, this is what God said, and you need to use it in this context when it was never intended to be used. It is to take a clear promise of God out of context and misuse it for your own benefit let's just start there if you have your your listening guide the first thing i want you to write down is we need to be careful that we do not misuse or abuse god's promises as a matter of fact in in psalm 19 uh, part of david's prayer in the psalm is to keep your servant back from presumptuous sins psalm 19 12 says who can discern his errors declare me innocent from hidden faults Father, keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me, because then I'll be blameless and innocent of great transgressions. And so I want to take just a moment before we actually get into the temptation and deal with these types of temptations that we face. And I'm just going to look at three, but there are three broader categories that we need to be mindful of. Uh, we'll write them out. The first one, of course, is, is here just uh the one that Satan used Jesus with. Be reckless. Jump jump off the to the the pinnacle of the temple just jump and god will protect you it's his promise what is the promise it is the promise of god's protection we have it in the old testament we have it in the new testament does question does god promise to protect his people unfailingly so We see it in Psalm 91. Even Jesus in the the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, when he says, look at the birds of the air, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? He's saying, listen, don't worry about this and don't worry about that. You have your heavenly Father who's going to be protecting you. And many of us have the experience of God's protection. Suzanne and I can give you many examples through the years of how God has kept us safe from harm. How God has put a hedge of protection around us. Uh, but now here's the question. Does that mean that it's not necessary for you to realize that you live in a dangerous world that you need to rec- that, and that you need to exercise wisdom in protecting your family and in protecting yourself? It does not. I have known some people who have made some really, really foolish decisions. Saying, I don't have to worry about that. God's just going to take care of it. God is just going to protect me. I can be reckless. I can be foolish. I can be capricious. I can stick my neck out in this area because God's just going to take care of it. And yet, we need to recognize that God has commissioned us. There's so much in the Old Testament about being wise, about being circumspect and in the new testament as well that we do not presume upon the protection of god we walk in wisdom in in abiding with him in order to experience his protection as a matter of fact let me just give you an example of this turn with me to luke chapter 22 those of you have scriptures turn with me to luke chapter 22 you remember early in jesus ministry he sent his disciples out And he refers to this toward the end of his life. And he says to them, when I sent you out with no money bag, no wallet, no credit cards, or no knapsack, nothing to keep your stuff in, or sandals, did you lack anything? And they said, nothing. So he had made a point early in their ministry, I am going to take care of your needs. I am going to provide for you, and I'm going to protect you. But then he said to them, this is verse 36, but now, again, I'm going, the Holy Spirit is coming, you live in a dangerous world, now let the one who has a money bag take it and likewise a knacksack, your suitcase and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy a sword for I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled and he was numbered against the transgressions I'm going to the cross for what was written about me has its fulfillment and they said look Lord here are two swords and he said it's enough what is the Lord Jesus telling his people here don't presume on protection exercise wisdom now this is not a sermon on Guns, you guys recognize that, all right? Uh, Sell your cloak, buy a sword. But he is saying, listen, it's going to be better for you to be cold at night than to be unprepared to live in the dangerous world that you live in. There's wisdom that's important for you to know here. And it's connected with the promise. Sure, be wise. Two swords is enough. You don't need a battalion, you don't need an army. You need to be prepared. You can trust in God's protection. But you exercise wisdom, you don't presume upon the protection of God. Let's just move ahead to another very common presumption. And this is more common, I believe, certainly has been in my experience. Does God promise to provide for our needs? Over and over again. Over and over again. Philippians chapter 4 verse 19. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And then we need to be generous to help provide for people's needs who don't have things. Proverbs nineteen seventeen: Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. In Proverbs 22, 9. The generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. But the idea of assuming upon the provision of God as a license to be lazy, as a license to not work, as a license to be irresponsible, is a sin of presumption against god and I, i'll just be honest with you pastors are some of the most likely that i know of to presume upon the provision of god i've known so many who made no provision for their retirement who made no provision for their families and they would quote things like, I've never seen the righteous forsaken of their seed begging for bread. Or my God does supply all my needs. Or every, where the Lord guides, the Lord provides. And I want you to understand that the, the promise is true. Suzanne and I many times again can tell you of experiences where we've had where we, we just prayed for God's provision and God miraculously provided for us. But it is not that we were being lazy or being slack it is not that we said oh i don't have to work or i don't have to do i don't have to take care of my family i don't have to do these things because god's just going to take care of it here's a corrective that paul gave to the church in thessalonica in second thessalonians chapter 3 and i want you to listen to this he says we command you brothers in the name of the lord jesus christ that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness now how does one walk in idleness. Walking doesn't sound idle to me. It's, it's not that he's in a hammock, but it means he's living in an idle manner. As a matter of fact, the issue here is not that they're not doing anything, it's that they're doing the wrong things. They're busybodies. He calls them in verse 11. Walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you've received from us. Verse 7. You yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle we weren't lazy we weren't slackers when we were with you nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it but with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you we were your missionaries we were your pastors we were your elders we were your leaders We were teaching we could have asked that you feed us that you put us up that you take care of our needs we intentionally did not as an example to you Paul says even when we were with you we would give you this command and here's the command if anyone is not willing to work let him not eat now you understand there's a difference between can't and won't right are you mad yet Everybody's really quiet you understand there's a difference between can't and won't and if someone's just being slack or just being lazy paul says the whole Bible is about generosity. God's generosity to us and our need to take care of one another. But you are doing harm to a person when you enable their sin of presumption and laziness. And you can't, here's what he says if anyone is not willing to work, here's a new command. Don't feed him. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, which would be productive, but busybodies. Now, such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus to do their work quietly and to learn and to earn their own living listen a sin of a presumptive sin if you will is a sin where we say i can be reckless because god's going to take care of me it can also be a sin where we say i'm going to be lazy and let god provide for our needs but there's a more egregious sin of presumption this is one that we are we need to be very careful of as a matter of fact all others pale in comparison by the way every promise has a presumption associated with it are you aware that does that make sense you can misuse many of the promises of god so you should have your own list there should be more than three these are more broad categories but this one is the one that tops them all does god promise to forgive you you remember when jesus was in the upper room with his disciples this is the cup of the blood of the covenant, symbolically. What is the covenant? The promise of God, the promise to forgive. And how many of you have heard and memorized and said and, and claimed, if we, are, if we confess our sins, that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that a great promise? I mean, there ought to be some hallelujahs there. We've been washed, we've been cleansed, we've been forgiven. Can I tell you about a sin of presumptuousness? that the Bible often calls licentiousness because I've been forgiven because I'm a recipient of grace it's like I got a license I can sin now as a matter of fact Paul confronted this at the church at Rome a church he had not been to when writing them, he says grace is great where there's sin there's greater grace so should we sin more so that there can be greater grace and the answer is no God forbid absolutely not why because why did Christ go to the cross in the first place to pay the penalty for sin It's important that we grasp this and that we get it. And here's a text that will keep you awake at night if you are presumptuous on uh, on God's forgiveness. And and, uh, It's Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10. Let's read it. Listen to these hard words. If we go on sinning deliberately, this is verse 26. So if we go on willfully, knowledgeably, intentionally, Knowing that what we're about to participate in is sin, if we go on deliberately sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth, we know the cross and what happened on the cross, well, there's no longer a sacrifice for sins. That sacrifice does not apply to that sin. But, but instead, there's a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses, looking back to the Old Testament, Dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the blood of Christ? Is this graphic enough language for you? It is though Jesus' broken body and trail of blood. You walk out and you just ignore it and you trample on the top of it by willful, deliberately sinful, s- sinfulness, presuming, oh, it'll be all right, God will forgive me. there's a quote I found a quote Catherine the Great I know we all know who this 18th century ruler of Russia was (laughs) but she was very autocratic and uh, she was very uh, abusive of her power and when she was confronted on it she said hey listen I'm an autocrat that's my job the good Lord will forgive me that's his job do you see the presumption that's there and while we may not be that egregious in what we say How often do we presume upon the grace and the forgiveness of God? So, three temptations that we'll face are categories. Don't be reckless thinking God will protect. Be wise, but be obedient. Don't be lazy thinking God will provide. Be about the work that God has for you. And don't be sinful thinking God will forgive. And how did Satan... What what about the temptation that Satan gave to Jesus here? He took him to the pinnacle of the temple in jerusalem and said jump because here's a promise god's going to give his angels charge concerning you you won't even dash your foot against the stone this is the promise and what he's doing is he's not he is twisting the application and the meaning of the scripture for jesus in order that he might use it for his own benefit and we have a tendency many times to twist the scriptures to make them say something that they never said as a matter of fact, that's the second point on your outline. Go ahead and write that down. Don't twist the scriptures. Another way to say that, 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. There is a hermeneutical principle that we learn in school, uh, very important. And that is that the Bible does not say today what it did not say then. Make sure you understand what Scripture says and what scripture means and how it's applied. We see the temptation Satan's already given. You're hungry, here's a stone, turn it to bread. Satisfy your appetites. Outside of God's will of your own initiative, at my prompting, do this. We see the second that we looked at last week, the shortcut to the kingdom. You're destined to rule if you bow to me, then this earth will become your kingdom and you won't have to go to the cross. Taking a shortcut. There's the sin, there's the temptation. But what was the one about this one? Jump off the temple in front of a crowd I I, here's what I think it was I think he was saying you need to prove yourself to the people you need to put your divinity on display so people will know and they'll see that you are the king the promised king who has come that's why I take you to Jerusalem there's always a crowd that's why I take you to the temple that's where God's presence is there are people there it's public place. It's visible to all and you can get their acclaim and they will follow you and you can skip the cross. You won't have to go through all the things that a lamb will have to go through. You can just skip the suffering servant part and go straight to the king part. This would result in revealing Jesus' true identity to Israel immediately, but the Father's plan was different. What's the song we sang this morning, the new song? We have a God who bled. We have a God who wept. We have a God who had to go through suffering as the perfect Lamb of God. And that's why understanding that this is kind of a premature announcement or declaration of who He is makes other passages in the New Testament become clear. In Luke chapter 4, we have the temptation, verses 1 through 13. But if you go down to verse 41, Jesus has inaugurated His ministry... And there's a man there who has demons. He casts the demons out. And the demons came out of many saying, you are the son of God. But Jesus rebuked the demons and he would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. Well, that doesn't make sense. Shouldn't everybody know he's the Christ? What about just the next chapter over in Luke chapter 5? Jesus has just healed a leper and the man is thrilled. You are the son of God. And he says he charged him to tell no one. But to go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. Why would he tell him to be quiet? Because it was not time yet. It was not time for him to be revealed as the Son of God. He had suffering to go through, he had a task to accomplish. As a matter of fact, this may make it a little bit clearer. In John chapter 6, remember what happened after Jesus fed the five thousand? Five thousand men, and then wives and kids on the mountainside loaves and fish feeds of five thousand how does the crowd respond when the people saw the sign that he had done they said this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world perceiving that they were then about to come and take him by force to make him king isn't that why he came Jesus with drew again to the mountain by himself he fled the crowd i think it's important that we kind of grasp this as a matter of fact let me just see if i can it, luke chapter 9 kind of brings this to the to the fore in our minds it happened that as he was praying alone, jesus was praying alone. the disciples were with him and he asked them who do the crowds say that i am you remember this text we've read it in the other gospels who do, who do people say that i am and they answered well some say john the baptist others say elijah others say you're one of the prophets of old And then he said to them, but who do you say I am? And what did Peter answer? Absolutely, you are the Christ of God, the Messiah, Christ, the Son of God. And how did Jesus respond to Peter at this point? He strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying the Son of Man, his favorite name for himself, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Do you understand the temptation that would have been for Christ? Not the thrill of a great fall and being caught at the bottom. The temptation to avoid exactly what the plan was for redemption. Suffering and pain. uh, Rejected by the elders and the chief priests. And death. And then the conquering of death through the resurrection well let me ask you a question how does that temptation equate to you and i we tend to twist the scripture because we don't want pain we don't want to take up our cross and follow after christ as a matter of fact when you read the luke 9 passage if you just go down right after this he says that how do you how do you become a disciple right immediately following this if anyone would come come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me and we just don't like self-denial too much. And we sure don't like discomfort. Why would we be tempted to, script the, to twist or to change or to misinterpret or to abuse Scripture? It's because I don't want to deny myself something. Or I don't want to take up my cross. Just let me find a verse that lets me off the hook. You ever done that? You ever done that? Let me find a verse that just lets me off the hook. How did Jesus respond? He responded with Scripture rightly applied. He goes back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, where Moses is preparing the children of Israel to go into the Promised Land. And he has a, a statement here. He says, Don't test the Lord your God. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. As you tested him at Massa. And let me see if I can just draw the picture. This is found in Exodus chapter 7, 1 through 17. The children of Israel in the wilderness, God's promised to provide. He's given them a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. He's providing manna. And they come to a place and they're thirsty. Actually, chapter 17 is before Sinai. They're on the way. And they're thirsty. And the question is all right, God, we're thirsty. If you're really God, we want you to give us some water. We need water. We need water now. And the test was, are we going to trust God? And so they put God to the test and say, are you a God that's worthy of us? Are you going to do what we want to meet our needs? You understand the, the temptation there? It's to treat God as though He were serving you rather than you were serving Him. To, to see if He's worthy of your worship rather than recognizing that He's worthy of all of your worship. We're not worthy of of his love and his grace the essence of this temptation of jesus to test god is in the same way that israel tested god at massa satan tempted jesus to treat god as a genie in a bottle to demand that god do his bidding rather than to submit to god's bidding god had provided or promised to provide for israel but they demanded that he provide for them on their time schedule rather than simply trusting him all right are we pretty clear on sense of presumption? Do you know what I'm talking about? Are we pretty sure on rightly handling the Word of God that we're not to make Scripture say what we want it to say or somehow abuse or misuse or shape the Scripture? So here's a question If Satan quoted Psalm 91, can you and I believe Psalm 91? Is it true? Is it the point? It, 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 is the point of it applicable for us, and in what way is it applicable for us? Well, I want you to do we're going to close the service today, my portion of this service today, by reading Psalm 91. What a great truth. What a great promise. What a great reality that we need to grasp in our prayers that God will rightly help us to understand it, that we might rightly apply it. He, the one who dwells in the shelter of the Most High, covered by God will abide in the shadow of the Almighty I will say to the Lord my refuge and my fortress my God in whom I trust is this someone seeking to ploy God for his own ends and seeking to manipulate God to do what he wants no this is one who is totally yielded to God he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler the hunter and from daily pestilence he will cover you with his pinions that's the wings the idea of a hen taking her chicks under her wings under his wings you will find refuge his faithfulness is a shield and a buckler let me tell you what these promises are for and all the promises of God are for the promises of protection, the promises of provision, the promises of forgiveness, the promise of His presence. All the promises of protection are in order that we might live fearlessly. God is exercising His sovereign oversight. They're not given to us in order that we might abuse them for our own benefit, but to trust in them. As a means that we can be obedient And however and wherever and whenever He leads. And we can be at peace knowing that we have a refuge that we have a, a deliverer, that we have protection. We might be in a dangerous place and things go haywire. God is our refuge. He's there and he's trusting. We might say, listen, I'm working. I'm doing the best I can. I'm being, following the principles of, of, of good stewardship and saving and investing. And yet the world turns upside down. You can always trust in God's provision. Promises were not given for us to foolishly put God to the test, but give us peace as we're walking with God. The third point, we live fearlessly. We make the Lord our dwelling place as you continue this passage in Psalm 91. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand. The picture here is of battle, but it will not come near to you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Why? What is verse 9? Mediata circle verse 9 because you have made the Lord your dwelling place did you, what do we sing this morning by the way excellent selection of songs today perfect with the scripture excellent expressions of worship I depend on you I depend on you I depend upon you for my direction for the day. I depend upon you to know what I'm to believe and think and do as I read your word and rightly handle scripture. I'm to depend upon you exercising wisdom in protection and walking circumspectly in the world. I depend upon you to take care of me. I depend upon you so that you are my dwelling place. When you lead me into the dangerous places of the world. When you send my kids and my grandkids to another country to be missionaries. Or heaven forbid to the northeast where it's cold all the time. (laughs) When you take us to the inner city or when you put me out in the rural countryside, someplace that's foreign and distant from me, I can trust you. And it doesn't mean that all my problems go away. It means that you are with me, that you are my shepherd, and that you are guiding me. And step by step, wherever you lead me, your promises are always true. And I can make it and twist it and say, now, God, you're supposed to make me rich. You're the God who gives wealth. Now, God, you're supposed to take away all my pain and all my discomfort because you're the God who is a healer and you're supposed to take all this suffering away from me. That is not the promise. The promise is that God is always sufficient, always right, and always enough and you can depend upon Him. He is your refuge. You make Him your hiding place. Oh, the promises of God. I love this. No evil shall befall you. No plague shall come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they'll bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. He promises to protect. Don't abuse this. Don't bring snakes to church next week. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. This is God speaking. He changes to, the, to God speaking. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Back to Mokes Creek in my childhood. Mokes Creek Baptist Church was at the bottom of a hill in a valley. The parsonage was at the top of a hill. And between the two was the cemetery. And we walked to and fro from church. And I remember Dad telling Mark and I, you guys head on to the house. This is one Sunday night. You guys head on to the house. Mom's there. She's already gone with the girls. I'm going to stay here and be talking to somebody. You guys need to walk home. Well, buddy, that meant a walk through the cemetery at night. As a second grader, we were not thrilled with the prospect. It was terrifying as a matter of fact we got about halfway through and I don't know if it was an owl or some sort of bird but it screeched and we made record time getting home <laughs> slammed in the house out of breath the next time dad sent us home we was like dad you got to come with us and you know something when dad was with us, was with us it was a whole different ball game. We weren't scared of the noises, and we weren't scared of the dark, and we weren't scared of whatever might be coming up out of those graves. As a matter of fact, we actually walked up and down between the tombstones, reading some of the things that were on the tombstone by flashlight. We joked, we laughed, we made it home. You know the difference? Dad was there. Can I tell you about our Savior? God sent His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to pay the penalty for our sin our sin placed on the cross in order that his righteousness he who did not yield to temptation his righteousness merit not my own now becomes merit my own and he lives within me and he is my refuge and my strength and i can live without anxiety And I can live without fear. It doesn't promise everything's going to be smooth. You've got to read all of Scripture, rightly handle the Word of God. It doesn't mean there's not going to be pain and that there's not going to be suffering. As a matter of fact, the call to follow Christ is a call to self-denial. Watch your appetites. There'll be a source of temptation. Watch your ambitions. There'll be a source of temptation. Watch the desires of your flesh to sin, presuming upon the forgiveness of God. But He did come to forgive that you might know him and that you might walk in obedience with him so that you make him your dwelling place. If you've never done that, if you don't know what that means, we'd love to go into more detail and talk with you about that. As a matter of fact, the whole reason this church exists is to tell you about him after we tell him about you. And so we pray for you that you'll come to know him and that you'll know him more fully and that you'll know him more deeply. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for those that you've brought here today. And Father, I confess the temptations that we have to just know enough scripture to excuse our own bad behavior. And I pray that you'll keep us from presumptuous sins, the subtle ones, the ones that tempt us that we're not even fully aware of the ones that sneak into our religious upbringing and sneak into our reasoning, that enable us to do anything except what you called us to do, which is to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, to follow you, to make you our refuge and strength, to go where you lead, to depend upon your power step by step, day by day. I pray, Father, that you will help us to fully rest and depend upon you. And for those here who don't know you yet, I pray that you'll make them aware of their need for a Savior, that they need you, that they need to be saved and cleansed and forgiven, and that you've provided the way for that through the Lord Jesus Christ and repentance and faith in Him. Father, we pray that in all things that you'll be glorified. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.